stewardship, generosity, giving. And last week, uh, what Marty did was he went in the Old Testament and he began to unpackage from an Old Testament perspective this idea of tithing. Tithing is one of those words that you never hear outside of church. What is it? And so if you missed the message last week, it was great. You should go back and watch it online. In essence, what we saw is that uh, tithing is the first 10% of what you make, what you have, that you dedicate back to God. This sense that, that uh, of everything, remember Marty had the 10 apples up here, that uh, of everything you have, tithing is taking the first 10% and giving it to God and letting Him do something with it. This week, what I get to do is look at what does the New Testament have to say. Marty made a case from an Old Testament foundational perspective. And and this weekend, what we want to do is we're looking at what the New Testament has to say about stewardship. How are we developing in this area of stewardship or generosity or giving? And uh, I'm going to hit you with two questions. The the two questions are the two points that are in your bulletin. and, And the two questions revolve around these two things. First is ownership. Ownership. Who is it? Who is it for? Who really owns what you have? And the second question revolves around mission. What's it for? So the first will be ownership. Whose is it? The second revolves around mission. Who is it for? And a little bit, we're going to talk about money. And, and I need to tell you that, that going into this, uh, this is one of those topics that people get a little funny about. We were talking about it before the service and this idea that as soon as you hear a pastor get up and he says, we're going to talk about stewardship or generosity or giving, we we bristle our backs a little bit and we say, honey, hand me the checkbook. Put away the credit cards. Put the church. This is the part where the church asks for money. And and we, we lock it down tight. And we say, no way. I'm not going to listen to this. I don't want to hear them talk about my money. I don't want to hear them talk about my time or my treasure or my talents. Uh, it's, see, uh, the, reason, the reason I get a little self-conscious about this is because we look at everything through the lens of mine. It's my time. It's my budget. It's my finances. And it's not just our money. It's everything else. It's my dreams. It's my... My, my, my family, my car, my vacation home, my retirement package. And we start to get really anxious that, that we're going to have to wrestle with this question of, well, what's really mine? My body, my hobbies. See, I want more control. Now, that's why I'm a little nervous about this morning. But let me tell you why I'm really excited. Let me tell you why I'm really excited about this topic and why I hope that you will be also. And it's because of this. The greatest success stories that I have seen in the lives of followers of Christ, whether it's a man or a woman, a senior citizen or a senior in high school, whether you're married or single or divorced or widowed, regardless of whatever kind of car you drive, whatever zip code you live in, the greatest success stories that I have seen come from people who have wrestled with these two questions and acknowledge God's ownership in their lives and His mission in their purpose. When I see Christians who really get it, 
who aren't just Christians in title, they don't just go to church enough to really compensate for all the other things that they do. When I see Christians who are really living a powerful, effective, impactful life, the ones who do the most, they're the ones who acknowledge God's ownership and pursue His mission. And the passage that we're going to look, look at Does it talk about money? Yeah, it talks about money, but it's not just about money. What it really tries to focus on is, are you acknowledging God's ownership in your life? And are you living on mission with Him? And and for me, personally, the more that I've wrestled with this concept or this idea of stewardship, and what it really looks like in my life, The reason that I need to hear this message is because I know that ultimately for me, it comes down to trust. It comes down to how much of me does God really want and can I trust Him with the answer? How much of me does God really want and can I trust Him with what matters most to me? That's what I have been wrestling with as I've been looking at this passage, as I've been thinking about stewardship. It really ultimately comes down to trust. And what I'm excited for each one of us to experience this morning as we look at this passage in 2 Corinthians is that God has designed giving as one of the best ways to be insulated from this world's call on me to be focused on holding on to what I think is mine and just living for myself. Because what we'll see, and I want you to understand this, is that it's not just about the money. It's not. It's about whether you trust God enough to acknowledge His ownership and His mission in your life. And that's what I'm excited about. And that's what I hope you'll see as we go through this passage. So, uh, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I hope you brought your Bibles. If you didn't, you can open it up on your, on your phone or we have the words up on the screen here. And, and just to give you a background of what's going on here, Paul is writing a letter to uh, Christians in the city of Corinth. And it's called 2 Corinthians because it's a letter that was written to the Corinthian Christians. And what we're going to see here is that Paul is writing this letter to the Christians in Corinth and he's actually going to be bragging about another church. Paul's bragging to the Corinthians about other Christians who were part of this church planting movement in a place called Macedonia. And what's happening is that Paul is writing to facilitate the financial support of the Christians in Jerusalem. So are you confused yet? There's there's three things that are going on here. Jerusalem is where Christianity started. That's where the church originated from. And then they were scattered and they went out and did all these church plants. So the Christians in Jerusalem, they have been experiencing a famine. And so they're getting caught up in in poverty and, and, and lack of food, lack of supplies. The Christians in Jerusalem are really struggling. So Paul has been organizing this this collection for the Jerusalem Christians. And he's already collected from the Macedonians, this this group of church plants in Macedonia. And now he's writing to the Corinthians, and he's going to talk to them about how amazing the Macedonians did at supporting what's going on in Jerusalem. And so that's where we're going to pick up in this passage. So let's look at it together with uh, just the first five verses, maybe. We'll start there. 
Here's what Paul says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means. And as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. So what's going on here? The Christians in Jerusalem are struggling. They're going through all these hard times. And Paul is writing to the Corinthians to tell them about the Macedonians. To say, let me, let me brag on those Macedonian Christians. And, and what I didn't tell you leading up to it is that the Macedonian Christians, they were having a hard time. They were dealing with their own poverty. They were dealing with their own struggles. I mean, you can see it in verse 2. He says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. What Paul is saying to the Corinthians is that even in the midst of poverty and struggle, this small cluster of church plants gave abundantly. And what we don't realize because we miss it today is that those Macedonian churches, they were about 1,200 miles from the Jerusalem churches. Nowadays, 1,200 miles, you get on a plane for a couple hours, not a big deal. You go on a road trip, in no time you're there. Then, it would have taken months for someone to travel. So the reality is, is that these Macedonian Christians were giving to a group of people that they would probably never ever see, who lived in a place that they would probably never ever visit. And I love that with Paul, Paul isn't approaching this to say, Corinthians, I want you to do this, I want you to do X, Y, and Z. He's not doing that at all. His focus is to say, I want to talk to you about some Christians who are hitting it out of the park. He, he's not trying to, to guilt or push the Corinthians to do anything. He's trying to create a little bit of healthy rivalry. To say... Guys, I want to talk about generosity and I want to do it in a way that celebrates these guys in Macedonia because they were in a position of severe affliction. They were struggling with poverty. They were struggling with, with not having enough. But in a test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. And these five verses are painting a picture of the love that Paul is desiring the Corinthians to model after. Very simply put, Paul is saying that these folks in Macedonia, their love overflowed into generous giving. And he's also really clear to say that they gave according to their means. They hit the mark that was asked of them. They gave according to their means but begging us earnestly, I love this sentence, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They hit the mark, 
But then they begged us. They begged us to let them give more. Why? The favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. What Paul is trying to say is that love is the overflow of joy in Christ which meets the needs of others. Love is the overflow of joy in Christ which moves us to meet the needs of others. He is trying to tell these Corinthians to say that there is a group of people who are not well known for their wealth. They're not well known for their power. We know very little about those Macedonian Christians. But what we know is that their love produced an overflow of joy that resulted in generous giving for those who were suffering. And I read this, and I want to know why. I want to know what was it about them that allowed them to look at their stuff, to look at their possessions, and to not just give according to their means, but to beg Paul to please let us give more. Because we consider it a privilege to serve those who are in need. Why would they do that? Remember I told you there were two questions that we're going to wrestle with. Here's the first one. Because it shows where they started. The first question is the question of ownership. Whose is it? What, 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 what was it that made it possible for them to give so generously and abundantly? The answer is, verse, is in verse 5. It says, And this not as we expected. He said, we didn't, we didn't expect this. But they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then by the will of God to us. They gave themselves first to the Lord. What made it possible for these Christians in the midst of their poverty, in the midst of their own struggle, that they would give so generously? Paul says the answer is, they gave themselves first to the Lord. They made a statement that their lives were given to one thing, God. They were not living for the house. They weren't living for the car. They weren't living for the retirement. They weren't living for the vacation. They weren't living for college. They weren't living for a degree. They weren't living for the future dream. They weren't living because of the present burden. They weren't living because of the past mistakes. They were living for one thing. God. Because they were willing to acknowledge God's ownership in their lives, that everything they have comes from Him. Everything in their possession came from Him. They were willing to acknowledge His ownership in their lives. And God was doing incredible things. First the Lord, then to us. Because giving themselves to God, acknowledging His ownership, drew them into a desire to care and to meet the needs of others. And Paul's revealing that there's a joining between our joy in the Lord and our willingness to give. Paul's trying to reveal to the Corinthian Christians through the success of the Macedonian Christians that there is a joining between our joy in the Lord and our willingness to give. And foundational to that is our ability to confidently answer the question of ownership. Who do I belong to? To whom does my stuff belong to? My car, 
my home, my, cha- my paycheck, my schedule, my hopes and my dreams. What Paul is trying to say is that the Christians in Macedonia, they got this. And because they have answered the question of ownership, they're seeing God move because of it. And there are people that they will never meet in a place that they will never go who are being blessed, who are being cared for, who are being ministered to because they answered the question of ownership that nothing they have is theirs. And I wonder, I wonder how much we need to hear that. Because I don't think that this is the American way. I love America. I'm not criticizing our country. I'm just saying that we live in a world where we work hard for what's ours. We work hard for what's mine. And what's mine is mine. And if I earned it, I should enjoy it. And what I find in in these Macedonian Christians is this concept that there were people who were not identified by their possessions. They were identified by who possessed them. They weren't identified by what they owned. They were identified by who owned them. And because they understood that everything they had was on loan to them from God so that they could use it for His purposes, it allowed for that marriage to take place between their joy and what they had to give. And God moved powerfully powerfully because of it. And that's why if we're serious in developing in this area of stewardship, we have to wrestle with the question of ownership. Do you really believe that everything you have is yours because God has entrusted you with it so that he can accomplish things through it? Do you really believe that? Is everything you have from God? Because until you've answered this question of ownership, then you are missing out. Paul goes on. Let's look and see what else he says in verse 7. He says, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Well, what's he saying here? Paul's saying that you guys are so good at so many things. You are a developing church. He's saying you are developing in everything. You're developing in faith. You're developing in speech. You're developing in knowledge. You're developing in all earnestness and your excitement and your enthusiasm, your desire to be used by God. You guys are developing in so many areas. You're a great church. You're a great body. You're doing so many amazing things. See that you excel in this act of grace also. Paul is affirming who they are. He's affirming what they're doing. He's saying that you guys are doing great in so many ways, in so many things, but your giving has fallen behind. And do not divorce where God is trying to develop you in the, in the ways that you enjoy to see. Don't divorce that from this idea of being used to pour out grace through your generosity. Because without generosity, the rest of it can't thrive. I'm reading a book by Gordon MacDonald. He's a pastor and an author. He's, he's an older guy. He's, he's toward the latter uh, portion of his life. And so he wrote a book called A Resilient Life. 
And, and he's, he's a guy who's been through quite a bit. He's seen the highs and the lows. He's been through some tough stuff. And he wrote this book looking at his life from oh, what I would say the second half of it to look back and say, what is it that is required to have a resilient life? And by that, he just means a life that isn't swept away by this or broken by that or crushed by this. What does it take to be resilient so that no matter what you go through, God can be active and moving in your life. It's a good book. And so I, I got a quote from there because he talks about this specifically. He says, The big picture of who you are is not complete without this component of generosity, character, giftedness, life direction. None of it hangs together until the generosity piece is put in place. And then I love this. Listen to it. He says, Generosity is an authenticating symbol. It is the antithesis or the opposite of a life trapped in materialism, self-centeredness, and an obsession with pleasure. Generosity is a much larger issue than just money. We're talking about a way of life that begins with the question, listen to this, what of me can be shared or given away? And just like Paul who says, you guys are doing great in so many ways, and I'm so excited. You're even growing in our love for you. We love you so much. But you have disconnected generosity from all the other areas you're trying to grow. And what uh, McDonald is trying to say here is that generosity is an authenticating symbol of whether or not God is really moving and growing and doing all these things. And it protects you from a life trapped in materialism and self-centeredness and an obsession with pleasure. And I love that question. What of me can be shared? What of me, what do I have that can be shared? Acknowledging God's ownership of your life, your whole life, moves you toward being on mission with what God is trying to do in you and through you. And so if you're here and you're a follower of Christ and you want to be used by God, you want to, you want to see Him moving and active around you, what Paul seems to be saying is that you need to acknowledge God's ownership of your life so that you can truly go on mission with Him. And that gets us to our second question, and it's a question of mission. What's it for? If the first question is ownership and whose is it, the second question is mission and what's it for? Look at verse 8 in 2 Corinthians. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What is Paul doing here? Remember, he's writing to the Corinthian Christians. And he begins by highlighting the example of the Macedonian Christians. Because Paul is trying really hard to not just do this frontal approach and say, I command you to do this. Thus saith the Lord. He's celebrating success where he sees it in the Macedonian Christians. And now Paul's going to shift a little bit. And he's going to get off of the model of the Macedonians and he's going to go a little deeper. And this is where I want you to go a little deeper. He says it's not a command. It's an invitation. 
It's an invitation not to be like the Macedonians. They're great. We love them. They're, they're doing a fantastic job. I'm not inviting you to be like another church or to be like other Christians. He says, I want to invite you to what? To be like Jesus. This second question of mission is really wrestling with the question of what is your life for? And rather than just modeling it after another church or after other Christians, are you modeling your life after Jesus? Because Paul is very excited to talk about Jesus. Who he is and what he did. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul is referring to the humanity of Jesus. And the fact that the humanity of Jesus limited what he had known before he became a man. This idea that Jesus, for all of eternity, was located in heaven where he was glorified and praised all the time. His location in proximity to the Father physically allowed him to continue because of his glory to receive praise and honor and admiration from all of the creatures of heaven. And yet, Jesus chose to lay down that glory. He chose to lay down that worship. He chose to lay down that praise. He chose to lay down that, that, that awe that surrounded him in heaven so that he could come to earth and be born in a dirty stable. And he could walk the earth. And he could be hungry. And he could be thirsty. And he could go without. To the point where ultimately he is whipped and beaten and bruised and hung on a cross and crucified and buried in a tomb. Why did he do that? Why did he who know no sin become sin for us? Why did he who knew no pain experience pain for us? Why did he who had all the riches and all the glory and all the praise, why did he who knew all of that become poor? He did it because being about his father's business, being on mission with his father mattered more to him than anything else that he had. And Paul wants to remind them that it's not about copying other churches. It's not about copying other Christians. It is about copying Jesus who became poor so that we could become rich. We are owners, we are inheritors of the richness and wealth that Jesus provided to us in our salvation and in our life and in our hope and in our peace. And Paul says, how can we do less than to walk on mission with him? who became poor so that we could become rich. Being a part of God's mission, knowing what it's for, is key. Our God is a giving God. John 3.16 is a passage that we love. We put it on signs, we hold it up at games, we put it on billboards. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave. We are so thankful that God loves us. But sometimes there's a blank. 
God in his abundant love gave abundantly. And Paul is trying to have those followers of Christ understand that being on mission with Christ enables you to not hold on to your stuff because you want to hold on to the mission. The mission of serving, to give lavishly, tithing, stewardship, generosity. It teaches us to put God first and it draws us closer to Him because it teaches us to invest in His mission. And here's what Paul is really trying to help those, those Christians to understand. That there are things that God wants to accomplish in this world and when you give, you become a part of it. There are things that God wants to accomplish in this world and when you give, you become a part of it. There are people who are being benefited that you will never meet, that God wants to love. And when you're part of his mission, it goes forward. Which is why Paul, in the next couple of verses, says, don't put it off. Look at verse 10. He says, And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now, finish doing it well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. What's Paul saying here? He's saying, I'm so glad that you were willing a year ago to do this. I'm so glad that when we talked about this a year ago, you were on board and you were excited. But it's been a year. You've got to complete it. I love that you had the want to a year ago, but now you've got to finish it. Don't stop now a year after you said you wanted to. Complete it. Complete the work. In the next verse, what Paul is basically trying to say is that don't hold off for what you might have because God is happy with what you have today. He would rather have you experience this today than to say, well, I'm going to keep waiting because that'll be better. Paul is saying you wanted to a year ago? Turn your want to and just do. Experience God moving in your midst today. Don't hold off. Finish the job. Don't wait. Why is this so important? There's a process that you become drawn into when you get these two areas. And there's a graphic up here that really kind of boils it down, asking the questions, who do I belong to and what's it for? And here's the whole point. Ownership leads to mission and mission leads to ownership. Ownership leads to mission and mission leads to ownership. And what I want you to understand is that the most effective followers of Christ understand this cycle and they plant themselves firmly right in the middle of it where they affirm God's ownership and in the affirmation of God's ownership you are moved to being on his mission. And when you are on his mission you, you are moved into affirming his ownership. And you engage in this process where God is moving in your midst, God is moving through you, and those who are around you are changed. Those who are affected by your affirmation that everything I have comes from God. Therefore, I am brought into the mission of walking with Him and pursuing Him where it's no longer about me. It's about being about the business of God. God in our midst 
And, and I try to think about how you can understand this. And I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, um, Dave Shoemaker. And, and I don't know if you know Dave, but if you've been through Alpha or if you've helped with Angel Tree, um, you probably know Dave Shoemaker. He's a great, great guy. And Dave, I asked him if he would just come and, and just share about how, how these concepts, these biblical ideas, intersected with his life. And, and a lot of times... There he is. A lot of times uh, we do these God at Work videos and they're polished and they're, they're really sweet. And so Dave cannot be contained. Dave cannot be contained in a video. Uh, so I just asked Dave if he would come share in his life, how has his life intersected with this idea that acknowledging God's ownership and joining him on mission takes you somewhere. So I want to let Dave share. So this is live. So this is live. Don't mess up. And it's the third time, so I'm really wide open. Good morning, everybody. I was excited when uh, Don asked me to share, uh, not because I feel like I have an amazing story to share, but I feel like I'm such a work in progress. Uh, I've confided in some people that uh, I feel like uh, I'm probably one of the slowest learners, slowest growers on the planet. So if anybody out there feels like that, hopefully you'll be able to relate uh, in, in some way. So going back to my early days, I would say I was probably at the ripe old age of about 10 or 12 years old. Um, I remember sitting, very clearly have a conversation with my father. We were sitting in the church parking lot uh, of the church that I grew up in, and uh, we were waiting, of course, for my mother because she was very chatty. We love her to death. She was very chatty, and she typically closed the church building down. But we were sitting there in the parking lot, and as we were sitting there, I remember looking out, uh, out into the distance and saying, my biggest fear in life is that one day I'm going to grow up, I'm going to have a house in the suburbs, white picket fence, a dog, in other words, the normal life. So that might sound funny to you. Uh, it might be the American dream, but to me, that was my biggest nightmare. I didn't want a normal life. I wanted everything that life had to offer. I wanted money. I wanted stuff. I wanted to travel. I wanted everything I could suck out of life, and I was really going to chase hard after that. And I guess maybe because I was sitting in the church parking lot, I thought, well, if God can be part of that, well, that's okay, too. So, pretty spiritual at that point. So, as life continued on, as you can imagine, uh, I did chase that. Um, I traveled a lot. I was doing my best to be successful and putting everything into that, pretty much working around the clock. And it wasn't very long, as you can imagine. Uh, I was starting to feel about half fulfilled. I was starting to feel empty. I could feel the emptiness. Uh, I could see that in my own life, and I could see that is in other people that have lived that lifestyle, uh, what the end of that road looked like. And uh, so from that point on, a lot of things happened in life, a lot of life events, years rolled by. I'm not going to go into that today, uh, but I began to, began to reevaluate. Uh, I knew I had to reevaluate what my vision and what my dream was. And as I was going through that phase, and that took some time, I remember a verse uh, that God really used to uh, speak to me, to speak to my heart. And it was uh, Matthew 6.33. Jesus said, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What I began to realize over a course of time that it was a trust factor. It was a matter of trust. Trusting that his plans were better than my plans. Trusting that his dream for my life was better than the dreams that I had. Trusting that if I wanted this full, abundant, amazing life, I could have it, but I had to fully trust him. 
So that's awesome to have a change of the will and a change of heart and want to really follow God and make him a priority. But the question came down to, how do you do that? So as I was trying to figure out how to do that, at that point, uh, I had uh, met Judy, uh, my wife, and uh, we, were, we were struggling with what that looked like. And uh, we had spent a lot of time independently uh, growing up in church, hearing a lot of great sermons, just a lot of great teaching. Honestly, we felt like over-absorbed sponges. We were just leaking sponges, and we just wanted to do something. So as we were going through that era of our life, um, one of the quotes that I like to remember is, you can't steer a ship that isn't moving. So here we are. We wanted to sail the great seas, and we were at dock, firmly planted both ropes, both ends of the boat, and we weren't moving. So we finally decided to cut the rope, set sail, and take steps toward what God wanted us to do, to create any place we could in our lives where God was a priority. One of the first things we did, and probably many of you here have done it, is uh, Angel Tree, and uh, Angel Tree is serving prisoners' children through uh, Christmas gifts. So that was a lot of fun. That was a great first step for us. Uh, then I started to invite people to Alpha. I invited some friends from work. I started to uh, invite anybody that I could and bring anybody that I could to Alpha. So that were some of the first steps that we took. But we just started to really look for places where we could bring God into our lives, into what we did on a normal, just daily basis. And it was interesting to see that when we made that a priority, the different opportunities that God allowed us to step into. Um, one of the things that was very interesting for me to see is, you know, we all have a very busy life. There's a lot going on. And, and many times I had the thought, well, I'm busy at work and the kids and the house and the home and the finances and the bills and what about all my hobbies? How can I fit God into all that stuff? Well, it's interesting when you make the shift and put God as a priority, how he opens up the time and he protects the space. I see this weekly in preparing for Alpha uh, as I get ready for, to launch a new Alpha or just a weekly, weekly Wednesday night or a Super Saturday, how God will protect the time. I also see that one of the things that I like to do is, is create space for breakfast and for lunches with people, whether that's with a fellow believer. Uh, encouraging a friend or just reaching out to somebody, anybody that I can share my faith with. It's funny how when I sit in those lunches, um, the phone doesn't ring as much. The phone can ring all day long. I'll sit down at 12 o'clock and the next call is 1.45 or whenever the lunch is done. So I see God really evidenced in doing that. If I thought about this lifestyle when I was in my teens or 20s, I would have thought, this is kind of a burden to bear. Well, I'm here to tell you, it's not a burden to bear. It really is the most exciting way to live your life. I'm not going to say it's not without frustrations and difficulties. One of the running jokes we have in my family, I see my wife right here. Um, we say that Judy quits alphabet every third Wednesday night. Not really. It's just kind of a joke we have in our family. And... What that's expressing is that there are some difficulties. But the cool thing is, when you're on God's mission, he's the one that pulls you through. When you're on your own, guess what? You're on your own. But when you're on God's mission, he seems to just pull you through and pull you through better each time. Part of the abundant life that we found together and individually is the relationships that God puts in our lives. It's truly amazing to work alongside of faithful, dedicated people week in and week out, just regular people like us, shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow, and just watch them reaching out to the people in their groups, watching them reach out to the people in their sphere of influence. It's just really, it's really an overflowing blessing. So to wrap it up, uh, I have to say that the life that I started to seek in my youth actually turned out to be a very small vision. 
very small dream. What God has shown me, my wife, and our family is that he has a much bigger purpose, a much greater priority, and a much bigger call in our lives. I have to say that seeking the kingdom first is certainly and clearly the path to the most fulfilling life. And we're just excited to see what God has in store for us in the days ahead. Thank you. So the reason, the reason that I was really glad uh, to have Dave share, uh, one, is, is because of his voice. And pretty much anything he says just sounds authoritative to me. And, and, I, and I love him because of that. Second reason is because I've seen him live this out. And I've seen him where he, he was a guy that just wanted to use his gifts to have, to have a dream that made sense in this world, which was I want to make a lot of money and I want to do a lot of great things and I want to be filled. And he, and he realized it doesn't fill me. To the point where now, when I see him pour out, he's just one of our volunteers. We have hundreds of people that are, and I don't want to, I'm not going to blow puff his head up, but we have hundreds of people who come through Alpha and come through Angel Tree and are involved in that because of Dave or people like him who say, I want to give God the first fruits of my life. I want to set aside this portion of my life and I want to give it to God. And I'll tell you that you will never regret cutting the line that holds you to the shore so that you can move out on mission. But you will never find yourself in a place to do that until you acknowledge God's ownership of all that you have. Until you acknowledge being on mission for life that isn't about you. Until you allow the joy of being saved by a God who gave for you to fill you to the point of overflow where even when it doesn't make sense you beg to be used because you know that there's no substitute and I love that because Dave is in the fray and like he said there's, there's ups and downs there's highs and lows but anything that he's given to God and there's, there's a ton of people I could bring up and put on stage and they would say the same thing. Whatever I gave God that I thought came at a cost to me, I always saw that God repaid it and used it and blew my mind. So, my question is, where are you at with this today? My goal was that this would help you have a conversation with God. That it would help you as you go to your small groups tonight, this week. And if you're not in a small group, it's a great reason to be in a small group. To be able to process questions within community. Or maybe it's your spouse, or maybe it's your mom or dad, or maybe it's your kids or your siblings, or, or a classmate or a roommate. There are three things that I want you to wrestle with. What is God's love asking of you in light of the needs around you? What is God's love asking of you in light of the needs around you? He might be saying, answer your phone. That might be one question. Second question, where is God inviting you to trust him? Where is God inviting you to trust him, inviting you to acknowledge his ownership of your life? 
Because it comes down to trust. Third, where is he inviting you into his mission? To join him in his work, specifically through the releasing of his resources in your life. Where is he inviting you into his mission to join him in his work, specifically through the releasing of his resources in your life? Our, our job as a church, our mission here, is to advance his kingdom locally, regionally, and around the world. And as a part of this body, you have an opportunity to join us in that. But it's not just your money. It's wrestling with the question of what of me can be shared. And that might be in your workplace. It might be in your community. It might be here. I don't know. I'm not here to point a finger at you. I'm not here to say hand in this or hand in that and we're going to double check. This is not a command. This is an invitation to be a part of God's amazing work. A conversation between you and God. An invitation to be part of His amazing work because I believe that you will never regret it when you finally answer the question of ownership and mission in your life and you give it all to Jesus. You will never regret it. So as we close right now, before you leave and and you go out of here, um, I want to pray for you. And then as I pray, the worship team is going to come out and we're, we're going to do one last song. And I want you to stay and I want you to listen to them. It's, you, ha- you probably haven't heard the song before. I want you to listen as they start it. And after they've sung the chorus, I want you to stand and I want this to be a commitment that we make together as a body so that we can fully acknowledge that God is worthy of it all. Everything we have, our hopes, our dreams, our future, our present, our past, He's worthy of it all. So would you just bow your heads and just pray with me and then let's just worship Him one last time together. God, I thank You that You are a giving God and that we are where we are at today because You gave. You gave abundantly. You gave richly so that we could inherit riches from you. God, I pray that you would help us as we identify that you own everything that we have. Help us as we identify that there is no greater mission for us to be on than your mission. And God, enable us as followers of you to declare with all that we are that you are worthy of it all. All that we have our hopes, our dreams, our fears, everything. We give it all to you. In Jesus' name.